Wonderful family of God. Well, I have a privilege to share with you this morning a word the Lord laid on my heart that I've titled The Call of His Love. The Call of His Love. It seems as if this is a rich season in terms of the Lord reaching out to His people, drawing us closer to Him, wanting to have a more intimate relationship with Him. And I wanna tell you that He is our Father. He's not just our God. He is our Father. He was a Father before He even engaged in creation. It was said of Jesus that He was slain from the foundation of the world, that the Father knew that Jesus would have to be sent to the cross to get His family back because humankind would lose their way. But before he engaged with creation, he was already a father. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never change. His character is uncompromising, and his love will never fail us. Now, even at the time of him beginning to create, at some point, he created angels. But he created them as servants. For angels know him as creator, but us he created as children and we know him as savior and not just creator. Now in Hebrews 1 verse 14, it says of the angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? It's a clear scriptural indication that he's created them to serve him and us by his command. But for us, he has called us as children and not servants alone. In John 1 verse 12, it says, but as many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So the reality is God is God, but he is also our father. And in fact, he was a father before he began in the acts of creation. Yet many in his house, many of his people and his children are removed from his fatherhood, are removed from his love, and are removed from his desire to walk in a close relationship with them. Not because he doesn't want them, but because in some way we perhaps have left our place next to his side, or we've never had the experience of his love in the first place. And that is what I really wanna speak into today. And what I'd like to use as a bit of a backdrop in my introduction is the parable of the prodigal son, which is found in Luke 15 from verse 11 to 32. I'm not gonna read it to you, I'm gonna paraphrase. Trust me, we're gonna to get to a lot of scripture today as is, all right. But in this particular parable, Jesus is teaching the people and he speaks of a father who has two sons, a younger and an older, and the younger wants to go and live his own life and he comes and he asks his father for his inheritance prematurely and the father gives it to him and this young son goes and squanders his wealth on foolishness and nonsense and finds himself in the pig pens of life and realizes that he would have a better life in his father's house as a servant than in the pig pens as a free man. And he decides to come home. But when he does, his father, rejoicing, welcomes him back, slaughters the fattened calf, puts his robe on him, puts his ring on him, and makes him feel as much the son that he is, because he never stopped seeing, being a son in that house. But the son himself had separated himself from the father. Now the eldest son was offended at all of this and he wouldn't even come into the feast and the father goes out to the eldest son and the eldest son says, how can you have this feast? I'm paraphrasing. You didn't even give me a goat to share with my friends and now you've killed the fattened calf for the son that squandered your wealth and the father says it was right 
because he was lost and now he is found. He was dead, but now he is alive. But we see something in both of these sons. And first I'll say of the younger son. Did the father love that younger son any less when he was in the pig pens? And the answer is a distinct no. Was the son separated from his father's love in that time? And I would say to an extent, yes, because though the father's love was there and real, the child, the, the, the prodigal son had removed himself from the influence of the father's love. Now Romans 8 verse 35 to 39 says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That is the truth, but it is still up to us to draw near to the Lord and allow him to love us. But something took place in this house that was of greater concern for me, and that was the older son's reaction. Because he lived in the father's house, he was under the same roof as the father, but he was not connected with the father's love. If he was, he would have been standing next to his father, welcoming his younger brother back, even in the state that he was in. But instead, he went about serving his father faithfully, which is good, but he missed the greatest prize of not only serving his father, but getting his father's heart into his life. And that is the call for all of us as his family too. Don't just go about the business of serving him. Yes, serve him, serve him. He's worthy. But at the same time, you must have an experience of his father heart of love for you. And that brings me to my first point, which is the father's great love for us. Now, 1 John 3 verse 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. As I said previously, He's not just your God, He's your Father. He's not just your provider or your healer or your prayer answerer. He is your Father. He has always been our Father, and He is unchanging. Speaking to this unchanging aspect of His nature, I want to refer to James 1.17. First of all, in the New King James, and secondly, in the Amplified, because it just brings such a richness and a fullness. Speaking to his unchanging character, his unchanging fatherhood of us. If I could put it this way, just as a small example, if we have children of our own, and they do something wrong, and they're disobedient, and sometimes it can be quite serious, at no point do they stop being our children. There's something that needs to be addressed, and it's addressed but when it's sorted, the family carries on moving, but at no point is the child not a part of the family. And it is the exact same scenario for us as his children in his house. Now James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now in the Amplified, to read it once again, it says every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, the creator and sustainer of the heavens. Now when we say the Father of lights, we might think, well, what are those little blinky lights? Lights what? Lights this, lights that? It's actually speaking about the universe, that he is holding galaxies and nebulas. That is what it means when it speaks of the Father of lights. Now that awesome God of un, un, unimaginable power is our Father, the creator and the sustainer in the heaven, of the heavens, in whom there is no variation, no rising or setting, or shadow cast by his turning. He is perfect and never changes. The Lord, the Father, is absolutely stable and dependable and trustworthy. There is no reason why 
We should not. With childlike faith, hold on to him at all times. Regardless of what our experience is, he's unchanging and he will never fail us. And in fact, that is what he is described as, the unfailing God. Now let me tell you, one of the greatest descriptions of him in the Bible is God is, and I'm sure many of you know that. If I was to say to you, what is the response? God is love. The Bible even says that in 1 John 4, 7 to 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Now, if that is a description of the Lord, and we refer then to the scripture of 1 Corinthians 13, which is known in the Bible as the chapter on love. Just as an example, what I'd like to do is to take the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit and to put their names in the place of love and read that scripture to you. Not to add to the scripture or to take away, just as an example, because then that scripture on love becomes a description of God's character and nature. Listen to me as I read. The Father, this is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. The Father suffers long and is patient. The Father is kind. The Father does not envy. He does not parade himself. The Father is not puffed up. Jesus does not behave rudely. Jesus does not seek his own. Jesus is not provoked and he thinks no evil. The Holy Spirit Rejoice does not rejoice in iniquity, but he rejoices in the truth. The Holy Spirit bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. The Lord never fails. So what I'd like you to do in your own time is remember what I've just shared with you and go in your own time and put the Lord, Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, perhaps once for each of them through that entire passage and read it to yourself and ponder on it and believe it because this is the description of his character. This is who he is to us and so much more. Now some would say there still seems to be a difference, a discrepancy between the Lord is described in the New Testament as our Father and the Lord we read of in the Old Testament who always seemed, inverted commas, quick to judge or quick to be angry. Now, one of the best examples I can give you of a scenario like this, where it seemed like the Lord was angry and ready to just lash out and, and almost like he was just being stirred up and, and it was just this entire scenario where it seemed like things were on a knife edge was with Moses and the people. Now, in Exodus 32, verse nine to 10, I'm gonna read it to you shortly, but the people had come out of Egypt and they were on their way to the promised land, but they stopped at Mount Horeb, where Moses went up the mountain to get the law. But in the process, the people had fallen into idolatry, made the golden calf, and got up to all sorts of nonsense. And this is what the Lord says to Moses in that moment. The Lord said to Moses, Exodus 32, verse 9 to 10, I've seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. That doesn't sound very much like what we've just read in 1 Corinthians 13. But now Moses goes on and he intercedes before the Lord. 
And he says, no, Lord, remember your covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember, Lord, that you brought your people out of Egypt. Let not the Egyptians say that you brought them out of Egypt only to kill them in the wilderness. And it says that the Lord relented from his anger. So it would seem as if Moses was the compassionate one. It would seem as if he was the one who was the voice of reason and the voice to, to try and bring order to the situation and say, oh, but Lord, let's think about this and let's think about that. But I wanna tell you, even according to his word, and you're welcome to turn to Numbers 11, verse 10 to 12. I don't wanna read scriptures to you the whole service. I'd love for you to read with me sometimes as well. So I'll give you a moment to get there, Numbers 11, verse 10 to 12. This deals with another situation where the people had made a mistake, a big one. They were hungry and they called to the Lord and he had provided manna for them, for their sustenance. And I guarantee that manna had all the nutrition they needed, but they were not satisfied in terms of their craving, they wanted meat. And in the Amplified versions, it says that every person cried and wailed at their tent. They made a difference between the crying and the wailing. Now we know a cry, a cry goes something like, <gasps> okay, but a wail, a wail is something else. A wail is something like, oh, that's a good wail. <laughs> and this thoroughly displeased Moses and the Lord. They were actually in agreement about their displeasure this time. All right. And I want to read to you, and please read with me, Numbers 11, verse 10 to 12. It says here, then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servants? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden or the responsibility of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them? That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child. Carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to your fathers. And here we see the heart of the Father. In that first scripture I read to you, it sounded like Moses was a compassionate one. But the Lord had put Moses in that position as an intercessor. He created Moses for that purpose. He gifted him and anointed him to be an intercessor so that the Lord's holiness would not strike out at the people when they sinned. This was before Jesus came. This was before Jesus' blood could pass judgment from them once and for all and forever. And so they were susceptible to being judged when they transgressed against the Lord because Jesus hadn't come yet. And so here we see the Lord making provision for that in Moses. And he says to Moses, you can imagine them having a face-to-face -face meeting. In Exodus 3, 33 verse 11, it says that the, the Lord spoke to Moses face-to-face -face as a man speaks with his friend. And you can imagine the Lord sitting with Moses, this intimate moment, saying to Moses, Moses, the people are going to rebel, they're going to sin, I know they're gonna do it. I need you to stand in that place as an intercessor. I need you to carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing infant. And the Lord was saying, that's how much I love them. I want you to love them the same. And when they sin, you be my intercessor. And so he made provision for the people's protection. He hasn't changed. When you read in the Old Testament of what seems like some kind of overreaction from the Lord, it is not the sum of the Lord's word is truth. And we find these treasures in his word when we go through his word. 
that we see his character is unfailing and he himself is unchanging. He will forever be our faithful father. Do not question it, do not doubt it, settle it in your heart. It will bring an immense measure of peace to your life. Amen. I wanna read one more small scripture to you out of the book of Judges, just to once again bring to light the heart of the Lord to his people, his heart of a father and his love for us. Now this was after the people had come out of Egypt, they had come into the promised land, but it was before the time of the kings. And they'd fallen into sin and they had been oppressed by the enemies, the Philistines and the Ammonites for 18 years and they realized their mistake and they cried to the Lord and the Lord's response in Judges 10, verse 14 to 16 is, go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. And the children of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away their foreign gods from them and served the Lord. And his soul, speaking of the Lord, and his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. We see the heart of our Father not able to endure the misery of his people as they were afflicted by their enemies. And he came and he delivered them. He is unchanging. In him, there is no shadow of turning, no rising and no setting. And his love is for you always. His heart is for you, his love is for you, and all you need do is draw near and receive it from him. Don't stray to the pig pens. If necessary, repent, but his love for you is as strong as ever. Just come home to his love. Amen. Amen. That brings me to my second point, which is his people and their full-time ministry. Family of God, we are bigger on the inside than the outside. We have an eternal potential within us. When we pass from this earth into glory, we're not gonna stop developing and only what we've developed on earth is what we take with us and then stop is pushed and that's us for eternity. What God has placed within us will continue to grow and be developed and come into its fullness in the ages upon ages upon ages outside of time to come. But in this life, we yet have a calling nonetheless. And God's call to us is to begin to move in what he's called us to. We've each got a calling. We've each got a full-time ministry in this life. You are a ministry. You have a ministry. And each one of us is a full-time ministry. You know, the development of our potential could be likened to a child. Where for those of us who've had children, when a baby is born, they don't do much more than eat drink, sleep, and uh, other unmentionables. Um, but when they're older, we can expect so much more from them. They've begun to communicate, they've begun to learn, they've begun to interact. And then when they're adults, and even full adults with their own family, how much of the potential that was within them as a baby has now been developed? It's not like they came into new potential, it was all placed within them by the Lord at the moment of conception. And let me tell you, that is just the introduction to our life of eternity. But each and every one of us has a call to fulfill in this life while we are on this earth that will only continue into eternity. Don't be idle in this life with all that God has given you. Just content to come and visit meetings and to do ever so little here and there. You have no idea what the Lord has placed within you. But if you would pray and say, Lord, show me who you made me to be. Show me what you've got for me. He will do so, but it will require you 
to take a step of faith, to get out of the boat at times, to perhaps share with that cashier who's in front of you, or say or share a word with a colleague at work. There might come a time, or there will come a time, where the Lord will challenge you to do something outside of your comfort zone, but by all means do it. Don't be afraid of what people's reaction would be. God has got a destiny and a purpose for you to fulfill. In the Old Testament, there was a division between the priests and the people. You had one tribe, the Levites. They were the designated priests. They were the only ones who were allowed to touch the ark. And no one else could offer sacrifices. The people would bring the sacrifices to the priests. The priests would process those sacrifices and offer those sacrifices on behalf of the people. One tribe out of 12. 11 tribes would come to the one tribe and the one tribe would offer the sacrifices. There was a division between the priests and the people. But the Lord removed that completely with the shedding of his blood. We are now, all of us, a kingdom of priests. Every single one of us, you could say, is that one tribe now. Because we are a holy people. In fact, let's read that scripture. It's 1 Peter 2 verse 9. Speaking of us in this New Testament time. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I wanna tell you there's a mandate in that scripture. It says we as his holy people are to proclaim his praises, now those praises don't mean that you're all of a sudden gonna become a continuous worshiper singing hallelujah wherever you walk and work, all right? Worship is a vital aspect of our loving walk with him, but that's not what this word is saying. The Greek word is orete, orete. I probably mutilated its pronunciation, but it's, it's, it's spelt R-E-T-E. What it means is excellencies, excellencies and deeds. So if we read that again and it says, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim his excellencies and his deeds. We then become the witnesses he is calling us to be because that is a witness. It is a proclamation of his power, of his goodness. It's testimonies of what he has done. It's not going around singing praise and worship that is a vital part of our devotion to him. But to proclaim his excellencies and deeds is a call upon our life. That is our mandate, that we are called to be witnesses to him. And so we all have a full-time ministry. In your workplace, in your family, in the sphere of influence where you find yourself, you are firmly placed in the full-time ministry. Now some would say, what about the five-fold ministry? How does that slot into all of this? And I want to invite you to turn there, Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 13, we'll read it together. Because once again, we sometimes have this thought in Christian circles and in some churches, that if you're part of the fivefold ministry, it's like the priests in the Old Testament, that you somehow have this elevated position, that you're more favored, and that now, once again, there's a hierarchy and a separation between the rest of the people and the fivefold ministry. And I wanna refute that because even in the scripture of the fivefold ministry, it describes what the purpose of the fivefold ministry is. And many people consider the fivefold ministry the recognized full-time ministry, all right? 
So what we read in Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, is, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. That is the purpose of the fivefold ministry, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, the fivefold ministry is supposed to continuously be working itself out of a job. It's not meant to be at the top of a pyramid and staying in this exalted position. It's meant to be continuously equipping the saints, the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. Till, in verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, the work of the ministry. Each and every one of us has a ministry, a ministry of word, a ministry of prayer, a ministry of serving, a ministry of encouragement, and so on. But what I do need to tell you is the greater the gifting, the greater the servant that person should be. That is Jesus' economy. In fact, he said it himself. In Matthew 20, verse 25 to 28, Jesus says, Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And so I would say, yes, there is a hierarchy, but it should be turned upside down. And that those who are greatly gifted should be the greatest and most humble servants for his purpose to equip the body so that the body can come into maturity and that we too in this generation can turn the world upside down just like the first century church was testified of in their time. And that is God's heart for us. I'm giving you a mandate today. May you never forget, may you never run from the truth. You have a full-time ministry. You are already in the full-time ministry as part of a royalty in his house, a royal nation, a holy priesthood. Now in the Old Testament, the people would go on a pilgrimage to go to the temple in order to offer sacrifices or participate in, in uh, the feasts. And then they would leave again. So they would come to the Lord's presence, then they would leave again. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. He has placed within you everything you need as you lean on him. His grace is sufficient for you. We carry with us the fragrance of the presence of Christ, which is out of 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14 to 16. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. And we carry his presence with us. He has equipped us for all that we need to accomplish. I want to share two quick testimonies with you of ordinary Christians, believers in Christ, disciples of the Lord, who fill seats in an auditorium very much like ours, where they didn't have this worldwide changing ministry, but there was a profound expression of the Father's love out of what they did. The first concerns an American couple. They already had two children, and this was at the time of the early 90s, and they felt the Lord stirring them to adopt a child into their family. And they felt stirred to go to the country of Romania which at that time had recently come out of communist rule to democracy, but it was an impoverished country because the previous dictator, Nicolae Ceausescu, 
It, it's tougher to write that name than to say it, let me tell you. Um, he was deposed and executed, but the country was left in devastation. And he had outlawed contraception, so they were in the order of about 100,000 babies in orphanages, impoverished orphanages all over Romania. So people from international countries were coming to adopt children. And this American couple felt to go and adopt a child. So they arrived at one of these, these uh, destitute orphanages. And they began the process and they were looking at little ones. But out of the corner of their eye, they kept catching a flash of someone looking at them. It was a little girl of about five years old. But she was filthy. And every time they would look at her, she'd withdraw. And her name was Nadia. And what happened was she was born with a deformity. Her left leg couldn't bend. Now, to put into perspective how dire the situation was in these orphanages, there was just enough staff to change and feed the babies, but no one to hold the babies. So these babies were left to cry, they were never held, and many of them died. Not because they weren't fed or changed, but because they weren't held and loved. Because that is how God has created us. Even from our earliest moments where we don't have our conscious mind, we need love. And these babies were dying because no one was loving them. Then you have this little girl who was born with a deformity. She got through that phase, but no one had any time for her. No one had even bothered to teach her how to speak. She would grunt, and she'd scoot around on her backside to get around. And this American couple, as they stayed there, they knew the Lord began to speak to them about why they were there. They were not there to adopt a perfectly healthy little baby as much as the need was. They were there to adopt Nadia, which they did. Now, the orphanage thought they were crazy, and they followed through with it nonetheless, and they took this little girl home, and make no mistake, it wasn't a fairy tale, it took time, because she was broken and rejected to the core, but there's no wound true love cannot heal, and this family loved her into wholeness, and I still remember the last scene of this particular testimony. When she was about eight years old, I, I, these testimonies I'm sharing with you are from over 20 years ago, over 25 years ago. And uh, she was sitting on a bed while her sister read her a book. And she was laughing and giggling and pointing at the book and leaning upon her sister with her little leg bent because it had been operated on and fixed. And I just remember looking up at her sister with such love and adoration in her eyes. And that was a normal pew-filling family, seat-filling family that stepped into a ministry that saved the life of a completely forgotten, most rejected little girl and gave her a hope and a future. Now the other testimony also concerns children. There was a couple living near a, met, a, metropol, a, a, metro, a, a city. <laughs> I had another one of those moments recently, but anyway, they were living near a city. And as in most cities, there were children being born, unwanted babies. Now, some of them would be saved, but the reality of the fallen and broken world we live in is that some of them were not saved. And these little ones would pass, and they would be taken to the morgue. They would have been abandoned in the most terrible places, and they would have passed through exposure or starvation. And they would be cremated, and there'd be no record of their existence other than a statistic. And the Lord said to this couple, buy a plot of ground, and he gave them favor and means and provision to do so, and go. He told them to go to the, the, the morgues and have relationship with them, create relationship with them, 
And that's what they did. And what they began to do was take these little ones that have passed, that have been cast aside and cast away, and that had died in the most desperate of circumstances, and gave them each a beautiful little coffin, and buried them in the field of green grass and shade-giving trees. And each and every one of them was given a little tombstone with a name and the meaning of that name. That even if they had lived for one hour on this earth, they were born in the image of God and they were given the dignity and death that they deserved, even though their spirits were now with the Lord forever. And it just struck me so deeply what a testimony that ministry was to whoever passed that field. What is that field? That is the field of the abandoned babies that have been given a resting place and a name. What an expression of the Father's love. Once again, from a normal family that stepped out into a ministry that God surprised, not only them with, but I'm sure everyone who was in their circle of influence. And so, I just want to share now briefly my third point with you. Because our call is to experience his love, our call is then to move in a ministry of the expression of his love. But it is a very real walk that we're in, and there are distractions, and there are challenges, and there are temptations. And the Lord wants us to be able to move through that strongly and firmly and to not fall away from him. My third point is do not be distracted and do not wait. And I wanna share with a little bit out of the parable of the, sea, of, of, of the sower, where the sower went out to sow seed in his field, focusing specifically on the stony ground part. And I'm gonna to read to you Matthew 13, verse 20 to 21. It says, but he received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. There's no root, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So there is, it's fine in the good times, but the moment the tough times come, there's a stumbling, there's a falling away. Why? Because there's a shallow root system, all right? So what can we do to be able to stand in the midst of the difficulties that surely will come across our way. What can we do in order to reach deeper into the Lord, in order to know that we've reached past that stony section, that we're able to stand? Because let me tell you what tribulation means. It means pressure, affliction, or trouble. It speaks about difficult circumstances. And then sometimes we as God's people get offended at Him when we're in difficult circumstances, especially if it's a season of it. And then we begin to question the unquestionable. What is the unquestionable? That he is unchanging, that he is your father. But in the midst of those difficulties, we might begin to question, what is our safeguard? Let me answer you out of the word. This is out of Ephesians 3, verse 16 to 19. It says here that he, meaning the father, would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So the antidote for a shallow root system, which will cause you to stumble in times of challenge, is to have a greater experience of the love of God. Comes full circle to my first point. 
that you may be filled with the fullness of God. You know that if someone who is full, someone who's eaten a meal and they can't even literally put another bite in their mouth, if you come alongside them with the best cuisine in the world, the most tasty morsel, but they are so full, they will look at that and they will very easily say, it's not for me, I'm full. That is what the Lord wants from us concerning the things of the world. That we are so full with Him, we are drawing near to Him, we're drinking so deeply of His love that there's no space within us. Our appetite has been satisfied. That when the temptations of the world come, we say, that is not for me. I'm full. I'm, I don't even have an appetite for it. But there's something else that we can do. And this is found in Psalm 1, verse two to three. It speaks about the righteous man that on the Lord's law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted firmly by the waters that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf shall not wither. What happens with a shallow root system? Withering. This speaks about staying in the Lord's word and you gain strong roots from investing into that. But where I'd like to end as I draw to a close is a story of Nehemiah. This is taken from Nehemiah 6 verse three. I'll read it to you shortly. But the walls of Jerusalem had begun to be rebuilt. It was a great work. Yet Israel's enemies had began to gather. They wanted to bring destruction to Israel and this work of being rebuilt. And so two of them in particular, one named Sanballat and the other Geshem, they must have been teased at school. Um, they essentially send a message and say, come down to us, to the Valley of Ono and speak with us because we have something to discuss with you. And Nehemiah discerned that they intended him ill. And this was his response. Nehemiah says, so I sent messages to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Let that be your heart's cry when challenges arise and they wanna bring despair. Let that be your heart's cry when temptation comes knocking at your door. Don't listen to those voices. Declare, I am doing a great work. I'm doing the work the Lord has called me to. It is a high wall. Why should I come down from the high place of serving Him and engage with you in the valley and get involved with foolishness and nonsense and despair? How do we guard ourselves against the shallow root system from the protection against tribulation or persecution because of the word? Drink deeply of His love, rooted and grounded in love. Stay full of His word and take a stand that you will stay on the high wall of his purpose. In clothing, closing, I just wanna read a statement to you. Don't wait to walk with him, get up and do it. Receive deeply of his love. You are his child and he is your father. And don't be an idle temple of his presence. We're all in the full-time ministry. It's a kingdom of priests. Shine, share, care, love, serve, give, preach, have mercy upon others. Be rooted in his love, stay in his word, and do not come down from his great work in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Family of God, I'm gonna invite you to stand. I'm gonna say a brief prayer and then I will dismiss the meeting. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share. That which is good, let it be planted. We've been speaking about planting, Lord. May you breathe 
the breath of life upon your people. Many are going through challenges and they need a refreshing from you. Lord, let them be strong in your strength and not their own. Lord, I pray for your strengthening. I pray for your grace. I pray for your encouragement. And Lord, I bless your people to go in your peace in the week ahead with a fresh understanding of the call of God upon their life, with a fresh understanding that they are beloved children of God and with a fresh understanding that they are not subject to the challenges of this world. They need only lean upon Him who will never fall for you have strength for them and it is strength indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you and go well. Thank you.